we trust in the Lord and do good. We dwell in the land and feed on God's faithfulness as we pray and look and pray and look. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Now, last time we noted that the Hebrew word in our verse for the year, our theme verse for the year, is the Hebrew word batak, and it means to be confident. It means to be secure. It can be translated as bold, carefree, and even hopeful. And Webster defines trust as reliance on the integrity, strength, and abilities of another. It can be defined as confident expectation. It also defines trust as a person on whom one relies. I thought this was interesting because Webster's Dictionary uses this particular meaning in a statement. And their statement of choice to express and explain what trust is when you rely on someone else as an object of trust. Their example was God is my trust. Amen. Now, our PowerPoint for this coming December, if we're still here on earth tells us more about this confident expectation that yields a secure, bold, and hopeful existence where at that point in time, should we arrive there, Isaiah says in 12.2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, an abbreviated form of Yahweh, the Lord is my strength and song. He has also become my salvation. Now remember, salvation can be translated also as deliverance. And he saves us and he delivers us. Amen? Now if I could take a little bit of interpretive liberty, so to speak, with what Isaiah said, you and I as New Testament Christians could conclude that as those saved by grace through faith, however long we are on the earth, the Lord will be our strength and our song, and we can trust in him and not be afraid. Uh, That needed more than that response there, I have to say. We can trust in him and not be afraid. Now, listen close. That means when we need God to move, when we need God to provide or direct our path, we can trust and not be afraid. When we need the Lord to heal, when we need the Lord to deliver, when we need the Lord to protect, we can trust and not be afraid. And when life brings the unexpected, the unwanted, and even the unwarranted, we can trust and not be afraid, for Yah, the Lord, is our strength and our song. Now, in our PowerPoint verse for February, we'll find again our word, not in the Hebrew this month, but rather in the Greek that is translated as trust, It includes the same meanings as the Hebrew, confident, secure, bold, carefree, and hopeful, but it adds another feature. It also means, the Greek word is uh, petho, and it means to convince by argument as to whether something is true or false. In other words, it is the presentation of facts that confirm one's position. Well, I submit to you as a basis for our belief system this morning, 66 books, 1,189 chapters, 31,164 verses, and 807,361 words, give or take a few, depending on the translation you're reading, that can be trusted in at all times because the entirety of God's word is truth. Now... We're also going to submit for our review this morning, as a human example, a man who exemplified trust. 
A man who experienced everything that life could throw at him, like no other person in human history apart from Christ himself. He was a man who was rejected by his own because of his faith. He was a man beaten, stoned, and left for dead for the same reason. A man betrayed, a man belittled, a man abandoned, who never lost faith, never lost hope, never lost trust in the true and living God. And our PowerPoint verse is going to tell us in one sentence how he did so. And that is, we should not trust in ourselves, but in God. Now, our title this morning is Timely Corporately. It's timely individually for many, or dare I even say, most of us here this morning. Our title may sound abrupt or abbreviated or incomplete or even unfinished, but our title is something that is true no matter how it is qualified by a word that we attach to the end of it. And our title this morning is simply Trusting Through. Trusting Through. Now, trusting through needs to be a part of our daily Christian experience, much like other key phrases we recognize as part of our walks with the Lord. Things like holding fast requires an object to hold fast to. Like walking in the Spirit or doing all to stand, trusting through is to be an attribute of the Christian life every single day. (coughs) Thus, we should trust through trials. We should trust through tribulations. We should trust through sickness and suffering. We should trust even through our victories and accomplishments. Now in Job 14.1, Job made this observation, or the book does, I should say, man who is born of woman is few of days and full of what? Of trouble. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm trusting the Lord to get us through this message this morning. Now, Job knew a little bit about trusting through trials and troubles, and he even took things to a place that would well illustrate for us what it looks like to trust through all circumstances, where he said in Job thirteen fifteen, Though he slay me, yet will I <coughs> excuse me, trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. Now, We need to trust God through everything we go through. And Paul is going to remind the church at Corinth and us how exactly we can do that. Excuse me a minute. I'm back. And by the way, it's been 15 days since I was in Hong Kong, so I don't have the coronavirus, so you don't need to worry about that. Now... The examples we're going to find in our text that we are to trust through are tribulations, suffering, persecution, discouragement, despair, and even the threat of death. As Paul says, he trusted... (coughs) ...through all these things, and he thus reminds us, we can too. Anybody need to hear this today? So, let's read, if you would, and stand, please, and read 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. We'll spend our time all the way down to verse 14. We'll break it up into three bites. So read with me, please, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7, and I'll try not to cough in your ears as we do. 
Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings... It is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. I don't know why, but while I was coughing, my Bible turned over to love never fails. So God is not going to fail us this morning. Amen? Amen. And Father, we thank you that your word is truth and we can trust in everything we find within its pages. So Lord, teach us this morning how to trust through whatever our experience may be. Help us, Lord, to trust through the tribulations and sufferings that Paul identifies here. Help us to see him as an example of the benefit of doing so in this life. We thank you for this opportunity this morning. And Lord, I would pray that you would still this cough and allow us to get through this time together. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, here we go. That was the last cough. I hope. Now, a little background is going to help us better understand what we're dealing with here as far as what Paul is going to describe, particularly in our middle section. Now, he'll later tell the church at Corinth in 11, 4 to 28 of this same book, um, 4 to 8 rather, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and that's not in the phrase that we would uh, think of it today. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and the day I've been in the deep and journeys often in perils of water and perils of robbers and perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren and weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for what? For all the churches. Now, in all that Paul experienced in his missionary travels, the stripes, <coughs> the beatings, the stoning, the shipwrecks, the perils, and sleepless hunger and thirst, what burdened him every day was what was going on in the churches, including that in Corinth. Paul's burden for the Corinthian church was based on their rebellion, their disloyalty, dishonesty, and immorality that was being practiced within the church. Their unfaithfulness and lack of helpfulness, so to speak. Well, as a biblical ignorance on basic doctrines and pride that was happening within the church there in Corinth. And every other experience Paul trusted through was secondary to his burden for these things being manifested in the church. Goodness sakes. Ah. Now, we also need to remember, excuse me, I'm going to have to use a cough drop here. 
Now, <clears throat> we have to remember, by the way, I had a coughing fit on World News Briefing the other day, and I just couldn't get a handle on it just like this. And so I put a cough drop in my mouth and uh, immediately swallowed it whole and was choking on the air. So let's, uh, let's pray that that doesn't happen this morning. Amen. Now, remember, First and Second Corinthians are not <coughs> all the letters that Paul uh, exchanged with this church. First Corinthians is clearly a reply to a letter that Paul had received, and we can determine much of what the content was by Paul's answer to the questions. Now, 1 Corinthians dealt with the church corporately. 2 Corinthians deals more with the church member or the individual saint. And Paul opens his comments in this letter with a very traditional Jewish phrase, one of the 18 that would be incorporated in synagogue worship. His first two words in the Hebrew are Baruch Atah, or blessed be. And we all know many uh, attachments to that in the blessings that are often spoken in the name of the Lord, uh, Baruch Atah, Adonai. But here he chooses the word Theos, translated rightfully as God. He then uh, identifies God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of mercies and the Theos, or the God of all comfort. Now, we need to remember that the church in Corinth was predominantly a Greek church, Greek in ethnicity as well as thought. And the Greeks were polytheistic. And as we studied earlier in the book of Acts, it was said of Athens, it's easier to find a god in the city than a man. There were some 30,000 gods and 10,000 inhabitants in that city. And Corinth was a very similar city to Athens. Now, Paul identifies the god and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ as the Father of mercy and thus the source of all comfort. And he uses the Greek word paraklesis to do so. It's the same word used to describe the person of the Holy Spirit. Now in John fourteen sixteen, Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another what? A helper. The word another means one just like me. But he will abide with you forever. The word paraklesis is translated as helper. There in John, in 1 John 2, 1, <coughs> John the Beloved writes, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an what? Advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Here, Paraclesis is translated as advocate. Now what that tells us is that the triune Godhead is there for us to be our help, to be our comfort, and to advocate for us in times of tribulations, troubles, and sufferings. To that I say, blessed be God. Now, Paul says in verse 5 that the comforter help we receive in times of tribulation, troubles, and suffering has an equipping aspect to it. And the fact is, we should pass on to others what our experiences have taught us. And verse 6 is where trust comes in, where Paul says, if we are afflicted, It is for your consolation and salvation. And the word afflicted means to crowd or even to press hard upon. It can even be translated to distress. Now, here's the first thing I think we need to consider about trusting through. Our first of three observations is this this morning. Listen, trusting through makes our salvation visible to others. Trusting through 
makes our salvation visible to others. And again, it doesn't matter the noun or verb you attach to trusting through. The principle is unchanging. We can trust God through all that we encounter and endure, and even the difficulties of life, the things we despise and despair of, we can still trust God through those things. Now, I think for all of us, we need to recognize the most common thing we do in tribulations, trials, and sufferings is we start looking for the exit. Amen? When is this going to end? That's the first thought that comes to our mind. Now, when we can't find the exit, we often then start looking for the reason. And we don't usually find the reason because we're looking through it or for it through finite thinking. Now, Peter expands our understanding <coughs> concerning this issue where he says in 1 Peter four twelve to 14, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But what? Rejoice. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings and you suffer as Christ did. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is what? He's glorified. Now, much like the testing of our faith produces patience, so too receiving comfort has a productive element associated with it at all as well. Now, think about it like this, and we can easily understand this principle. Someone who has lost a loved one, telling someone else who lost a loved one that God will get them through, has a lot more power and authority than the words of someone who has not had that experience. Now, we are not to think we are going to be exempt from trials and realize we're not going to be a stranger to them, as Peter said. But we also need to recognize there is a benefit to them. <coughs> and even when the pain is deep, and like Paul will say in our next section, even makes you despair of life. What is the benefit? Comforting others with the same comfort we have received. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul will tell the church there, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no what? Who have no hope. Now, trust is essential to hope. Hope in times when others have none is proof. And in a world and time where the word of God is disparaged and demeaned, letting the comfort and consolation of God abound in our own lives reveals there is a, a supernatural element to our existence that others are not blessed with, but can be through faith in Christ. Therefore, trusting through makes our salvation visible to others. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. You know, it's hard to teach with a cough drop in your mouth, but I'm just hoping it stays there and isn't launched toward the front row. So... And the front row is hoping that too. So let's take a look at verses 8 through 11. Now Paul goes on to say, We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead 
who delivered us from so great a death. Sorry, I got to get rid of that thing. (laughs) And does deliver us in whom we trust that he will deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Now, Paul basically is pointing back to what we have been studying in Acts and all the attacks he experienced in Asia and those who came, or Asia Minor specifically, and the Jews who came from Ephesus who sought his demise. So we don't need to spend a lot of time examining the events he's referring to, only that he describes what he endures as being immeasurable. It was too heavy to bear, and it put him at a loss for words. That's what the meaning of the word despairing is. Now, he then says we have the sentence or have the sentence of death in ourselves. Now, some commentators believe this means that he was physically being threatened. Others say because it says the sentence of death was within ourselves. And Paul was saying they didn't know if they could take any more. They didn't know if they could go another step. And it felt like they were going to die under the weight of the pressing circumstances. Now, personally, I believe both of those things are true. And because Paul mentions specifically that God is able to raise the dead, it is most likely that the primary meaning is that they were in physical danger and they were being threatened with death, which we know to be true from the book of Acts. He then employs the word truth twice, or at least in English it's translated twice in the next sentence, where he says we should not trust in ourselves, but rather in God, who delivered us, and he implies from the second death, and does deliver us in this life, And we trust that he will deliver us. And he uh, concludes this lengthy but typical Pauline sentence by pointing out how important the Corinthians' prayer for them was to them. Now, it's interesting today because it seems to be a bit in vogue to criticize pastors who mention what the Greek or Hebrew word is and what it means. And basically the accusation is made that the original languages are irrelevant To today's Christian, we already have it translated for us, so we don't need to know what the Greek text or Hebrew actually says or means. Now, if we don't do such things, we would miss the fact that the word trust in verse 9 and the word trust in verse 10 are actually two different Greek words. And the reason that there are two different Greek words used is because trusting in yourself and trusting in God are two completely different things with two completely different outcomes. Now, in Psalm 20, 6 through 9, we have an example of what it means to trust in self or man. We're told now, I know that the Lord saves his anointed by David. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, may the King answer us when we call. Now, trusting in ourselves is like trusting in horses and chariots instead of the name above all names. And David draws a contrast between the trust of one group and the other, as he identifies those who trust in horses and chariots as those who are bowed down and fallen, where those who trust in the name of the Lord are risen and upright. Now, interesting, the Greek word for trust in verse 9 is pethom. And as we said earlier, it means to convince by argument whether something is true or false. 
Now, the Greek word in uh, describing trust in God is elepto, and it means to wait for deliverance with joy and confidence. To wait for deliverance with joy and confidence. Now, let me ask you, have you ever talked yourself into doing something that you later regretted? Or maybe you've let somebody else talk you into something that you later realize you shouldn't have done it. I think we've all been there, done that in both of those propositions. Now, it is true that God allows things that we don't understand. Amen? It's true that God allows things that we don't understand. It's true that God will even send us to places where trials and tribulations await us. But we know that trusting in Him will never lead to a regrettable decision. Now, therefore, our next consideration about trusting through is this. Listen this morning. Difficulties do not diminish God's trustworthiness. They prove it. Difficulties do not diminish God's trustworthiness. They prove it. Now, listen to what David said when the circumstances in his life reached the level Paul described about his own. In Psalm 22, 1-8, David said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and they and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. David felt like Paul in our text, like the sentence of death was within him. People around him were saying, yeah, he trusted in God. Where's his God now? And in our day, what that would translate into is, why would you have so many problems if your God is good? Some try to convince by argument that there is no God or that God has forsaken us or at the least is indifferent to us because of what he allows. Some make the argument because children get sick, because young parents die, because life is unfair. But the truth is we can trust God through all these things because difficulties do not diminish his trustworthiness. They prove it. Now, we live in a fallen and sinful world. And that's man's fault. God created man with a free will and the capacity for evil because without these things, there could be no such thing as love. It is a loving relationship that God desired from the very beginning and continues to to this day, not a robotic, loveless interaction between those who must obey him because they have no other option. God created man with the ability to sin because then man could choose to love him and a relationship that God desired could be established. Of man's own free will. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you won't have any problems, but be of good cheer. In the world you'll have what? Tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now listen close. If Jesus said, Follow me and you'll have no problems, we could question his trustworthiness. If the Bible promised health and wealth to everybody and financial struggles or sickness came our way, we could trust or we could question the Bible's trustworthiness. 
But since Jesus didn't say those things, and the Bible didn't promise those things, but Jesus and the Word of God tells us that they will never leave us nor forsake us and will someday deliver us, trials do not diminish God's trustworthiness. They are the very circumstances through which His trustworthiness is proven. Now, let's look at 12 to 14 also, and we'll bring our time together to an end. And Lord, we thank you that there hasn't been a cough in the last seven or eight minutes. Glory to you. Verse 12, for our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. For we are not not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end. As also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, boasting here, which Paul said, trusting through all he encountered and endured, became his testimony, and his testimony was manifested in his conduct, which was based on the grace of God, not the wisdom of the flesh. Now, in 2 Corinthians eleven twelve to 14, Paul will later say in the same letter, but what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to what? According to their works. Aren't you glad that our end will not be according to our works, but according to the blood of Jesus? Now, false apostles had come to Corinth with the intention of discrediting Paul in an effort to gain a following and elevate themselves. They're described by Paul via the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as messengers of Satan disguised as messengers of light, light being idiomatic for truth. They wanted to destroy the church. They wanted to replace truth with error, so they began an attack on the truth teacher at Corinth, which was the Apostle Paul. They attacked his character. They attacked his integrity. They attacked his teaching. They charged him with being wicked and sinful. They said he lived an evil life, and as an impure sinner, he was experiencing the chasing of God because of the many things that he experienced in life, as well as his infirmities. Now... Because of Corinth being inundated with false teachers and charlatans, many in the church had become cynical of any itinerant preacher or missionary like Paul. So he says to them, listen, there's no hidden meaning or agenda behind my words. You can take them at face value. And he adds, I trust you will understand this. And then he says, we are your glory as you are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is further clarified for us in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 to 20, where Paul says, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. Now, what Paul is saying to the church in Thessaloniki, as well as the church in Corinth, is that someday they're all going to be together in the presence of the Lord, and they will rejoice or glory 
in the work that the Lord had done in and through them and how they impacted each other's lives. Now, this sets our target and goal, or may we say the duration of how long we need to be trusting through. We will need to do so until the day of the Lord Jesus, which brings us to our last point of consideration and is a bit of an equipping point and a reminder for you and I. Listen, and I packaged it in a way that hopefully we'll be able to remember it because it does have kind of a corny element to it. And here it is. You ready? We can trust God through to the end because of where we end up. We can trust God through to the end because of where we end up. Where did we end up? In heaven with the Lord. Now remember what Paul wrote to the same church about the resurrection of our bodies in chapter 15, verses 12 to 20 of his first letter. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ has not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But, Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or died. In other words, what he's saying is Jesus is the first one who ever died, rose again, and stayed alive forevermore. And there's going to be a whole group of people behind him who do the same thing. Now, there is one group that is exempt from this whole death thing. And that is a group that is taken in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. And I have submitted that we be a part of that group in the Lord's suggestion box. Amen? Amen. Now, Paul says, listen, if there's nothing beyond this life, what a pitiful existence the Christian life is. If death is the end and Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, our faith is empty, and our witness is not true. But Christ is risen from the dead. And that means all we endure in this life will someday be completely overshadowed by the presence of the Lord. Now in 1 John 3, 1 to 3, the beloved writes this. Behold what manner the love of the Father has bestowed on us. The love, manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be what? Like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone, say everyone. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he, Jesus, is pure. So, how do we practice trusting through? We remember where we end up when trials and tribulations arise. We anticipate with pleasure that because we are God's children, we will one day not only see him, but we shall be like him in the sense of being immortally incorruptible. So don't let anyone, including yourself, convince you by argument that circumstances prove that God cannot be trusted. But rather remember that how you face difficulty proves God's trustworthiness to others. Life is hard. But thankfully, it's short. 
Eternity is perfect. And thankfully, it's long. Matter of fact, it's really long. It never ends. So trusting through is part of the Christian life. Just like holding fast. Just like not doubting. Just like being steadfast. But we also need to remember that trusting through is trusting too. We are trusting in the fact that someday we're going to end up in a place where we were, where, when we will forever be with and like the Lord Jesus Christ. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now, it is an amazing time to be alive. And it is so interesting how the devil is raising his head in these last days as he knows that he has but a short time. And the last word that Paul gave us is, someday we're going to be together. And we're going to be able to rejoice in glory in all that the Lord has done through us and how we ministered to one another. And it's interesting how in our PowerPoint verse for this month and the things we have been studying of late, we're finding reminders that we are to be supportive of one another and encouraging one another and building one another up in the most holy faith as we see the day approaching. Love and good works are to be the norm for all of us. And we are to build each other up with encouraging words and not tear one another down because we're going to be with each other for a long time in heaven. Amen? Now, I couldn't help but think in light of what Paul was just saying. Pastor Jack and myself and Amir Sarfati did a bit of an update, much like I did last Wednesday night, concerning the deal of the century. Well, it's from a man who knows how to make a deal and who knows how to phrase things in a way that will get another party, hopefully, to make an agreement or else he'll tell them you're fired. I mean, that's kind of how he operates. The most interesting thing has happened this past week. I've been called of Satan, told I was of the devil, ignorant and unequipped for the ministry, but I was in good company because Jack Kibbs and Amir Sarfati are in the same group. And you know what it was over? It was all because the three of us stated that this is not the covenant that is going to be made by the Antichrist. That this is not the dividing of the land that is going to bring the judgment of God upon the earth as it does in the tribulation period and when Jerusalem is divided in two. Now, these are matters of interpretation, and there are other men that I admire and respect that see things differently, but when we get to heaven, we'll find out they were wrong. Or we might, I don't know. But what I do know is this. What's ungodly is that kind of behavior. And it should not be a part of any of our lives when we come across someone who may not see things exactly or identically the way that we see them. And this is what Paul is talking about. We should be glorying in what God has done in our lives. We should be rejoicing over other people whom the Lord has saved and bought back with his own blood. 
And listen, the determining factor as to whether you go to heaven or not is not your interpretation of last day's things or eschatology. That's not what gets you into heaven. What gets you into heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ shed for your sins. Now, listen, there is a limitation to this, and there are things that are false teachings and heresies that need to be exposed. And we are not to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But I'll tell you one thing, God hates discord among the brethren. And this is one of the things that he mentioned in the Proverbs where he gave a list of things, uh, six things the Lord hates and seven are an abomination to him. And when he gives a list in that manner, that tells you that the things are listed in ascending order. In other words, the last thing is the thing the Lord hates the most. And interestingly, within all that the Lord describes there, a lying tongue, feet that are swift to run to evil. The last thing he says is those. He identifies the person, not the action. Those who sow discord among the brethren. Those who seek to divide the body of Christ. So listen, in this age of tolerance where everything is tolerated except we believe, let's at least be tolerant with one another. Let's at least be loving to one another. Let's at least build each other up and say things that are encouraging to one another. And if somebody disagrees with you, on non-fundamental things like an interpretation of a particular passage as it relates to the tribulation period, let me remind you, the surest form of prophetic interpretation is fulfillment. And we can look back and see very clearly what Daniel wrote in chapter 7 and 8 of the vision that he received from the Lord of the series of visions. We can look back and see clearly what all that meant. But right now we have to use a bit of educated speculation in order to look into the tribulation period, because the fact is, I have no desire to be here during the tribulation to see these things fulfilled. And therefore, we're all going to be out of here. So let's be a little more loving and a little more caring out there. And I'm speaking to all of us because it's true for all of us, because we are all going to heaven. We are all going to heaven because we believe in Christ as Savior and Lord and that his name is the name above all other names. Now, listen, let me just give one last word of clarity. When somebody says that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, we don't have fellowship with that. We expose it as a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus isn't the spirit brother of anybody. Amen? And Satan is certainly not his brother. When somebody says Jesus used to be Michael the archangel and then he became uh, the son of God and now he's Michael the archangel again, we don't have fellowship with that. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We don't accept such teachings. We don't partner with such teachings. We can't have fellowship with such things. Because the core issue of the Bible is the person of Jesus Christ and the Father sending him into the world to save sinners like you and like me. So... It isn't that we just have this idea today that we just accept anything anyone teaches. We do what the Bereans do. We study the scriptures to find out if the teachings that we heard are so. That's what you need to be doing here as well. Amen? Amen. And I can assure you, I'm doing that before you hear it. Because I don't want to communicate my opinion to you. I want to communicate to you what the scripture is teaching to all of us. And should we differ in opinion? I promise not to say you're of the devil if you promise not to say I'm of the devil. Can we at least agree on that? Amen. And none of that happened from anybody here, by the way. It's just the uh, folks online who find courage in a keyboard that they wouldn't have face-to-face. Amen? Hey, let's love one another.
For God is love. And he demonstrated his own love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for ungodly sinners like you and like me. That we may become the righteousness of God in him. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. And Father, we're grateful for our time this morning. Thank you for telling us and teaching us about trusting through trial, suffering, despair, even despairing of life. You are faithful. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And even, Lord, when you, as you did with Paul, lead him to places where the Spirit is telling him, chains await him. Even then, we can trust in you. And Lord, so teach us to apply this more readily and more frequently when trouble comes our way. And help us not simply to look for the end of the reason but also look for the opportunity where we can be a comfort to others and become the voice of experience and comfort others with the same comfort we have received from you. So we thank you for our lessons today. And again, I want to thank you for staying this cough uh, here in the last portion of the message. We're grateful for your hand and touch in our lives. So we praise you. We give you glory. We thank you for all that you say and do for us. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. And all God's people agree by saying, Amen. Amen.